are back, back for another episode of the Letterman Jacket Podcast. Back with Garen Emig, buddy from Sellout Crowd, and back for the Sooners head to BYU this weekend. Garen, welcome. Welcome back to the Letterman Jacket, episode 24. You're 24 in already, man. That's awesome. Good I know. One away from a, uh, I think you get a gift card at 25. Do I? What do I, where from? Sellout Crowd. More okay. merch? Sellout Crowd yeah, merch? You I was get merch say, at selloutcrowd.com? Probably a scarf to go with that, uh, that sweet looking shirt well, you got. I would take a scarf. I could bundle up inside. 24. Marcus Major on the Sooners, of course, running back. Also, Sammy Omasigo, the freshman linebacker who we saw a bit of Saturday uh, in place of Desan McCullough at the Cheetah spot. One for the future. Another factor of 24. Garen, if you divide Jimbo Fisher's $77.8 million buyout by 24, you still get $3.2 million. That's more than 78 coaches across the country make annually. How about so, that? It's about what Jimbo made per victory at A&M, right? Stunning. $3 million. Yeah, we're going to get more. We're, we're going to hit on Jimbo. He's going to get plenty of play on this episode of Letterman Jacket. I'm going to ask you some big questions. We're going to talk about OU. We're going to talk about the Big 12 tiebreaker fiasco. Uh, and we'll get out of here with a game of gear in or gear out. But first, a word from our sponsors here on the Letterman Jacket. Rose Hill Builders, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Our Blood Institute, and Bob Moore Auto Group. Of course, Garen, can't forget our friends at Fire Lake. Citizen Potawatomi Nation is more than 75 positions open, available at one of its many businesses. Go to firelakejobs.com to find out more and join the team. All right, Garen. Midweek, we've had Big 12 news all week. We've had coaches starting to get fired a little later than usual this week. The Sooners are back on track. They go to Provo, but we're going to start with three big questions for you. All right. A little new segment on Letterman Jacket. Something we're, we're trying things. Uh, on the subject of Jimbo Fisher, it was the contract that was like the albatross of, of all of college football for a few years. Mm-hmm. We've been watching those buyout numbers Dwindle's not the right word. They've gone down every year, but you don't have, you can't say dwindle around that kind of money. But finally, Ross Bjork, probably the donors and the, the big money people at AM and AM itself finally just pulled the plug on Jimbo Fisher and bit the bullet. We're mixing metaphors here on a staggering, eye-watering buyout. And there's plenty <laughs> to talk about there, but what I would like to ask you, and I know you asked Brent Venables something about it not so much on the buyout but but of the nature of the coaching business right what is Jimbo Fisher's firing a buyout of this size and a school being able and willing to eat it say about where we're headed or maybe where we are in college football well it's we've been headed down a a a difficult and uncomfortable path now for a while with the intrusion of 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 not just money but just bleep loads of money, right? Like, like millions and millions of dollars of money. And it, it, not only does it drive things like conference realignment and get in the way of tradition, things like bedlam football and interrupt everything that we've always thought was safe and, uh, and, and disrupt that and, and make us uncomfortable. But now it is, it's become it's 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 always been a driving force behind coaches' salaries and hirings and, and firings to an effect. But you see something like what A and M is willing to do first to give Fisher the contract to begin with, and then its willingness to eat that contract. I mean, it, it, what it does is it brings a, a picture and a and a person in, in the case of Fisher 
to the, the old phrase, money is no object. I mean, it, it really isn't. It's, that's not a saying any longer. It, it isn't. And college football has become the latest example of how we have arrived at that reality. It, uh, it, 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 I, I know we're not supposed to be shocked, surprised, stunned, whatever you want to call it anymore, because of all of the, inf- the, the, the things that have happened to the sport, in particular, um, the last five or six years. But A&M's willingness to, again, do this to begin with, and then to, to do what they did on Sunday is is a moment it's a sort of stop and think moment i think for everybody it should be i don't know if it is but it probably should be i think the only stopping and thinking they're doing in college station is who can they lure there with another lucrative contract what big name can they get but this is college it's a college football problem it's an agent problem it's an ad problem um it's probably worth remembering how we got here i mean jimbo fisher gets brought out there by scott woodward from florida state and then it was it was after that COVID season where, where A&M was right on the edge of the college football playoff, and eventually LSU was looking for a new coach, and the thinking was Scott Woodward, who hired Jimbo Fisher to A&M, now in the job, the top job at LSU, would be ready to poach him uh, and bring him to LSU. So this was born out of, you know, on top of everything else, rivalries and probably a feeling in college station of we simply can't lose our coach to LSU mm-hmm. and that's that is what drives these things but this contract that is so airtight that uh is going to keep paying him this money even if Jimbo Fisher takes another job in a world of, of absurd payouts and you know uh give credit Todd Lisenby on the Monday edition of the Letterman Jacket pointing out you know it was only what a year and a few months ago that Nebraska fired Scott Frost like two weeks before they could have fired him for a lot less. Mm-hmm. That should have been one of the signals or was one of the signals that we're operating in an absurd and very different space. But this just takes it all to a new level. Well, and I want to make something really clear. The, the bad guys become the coaches who are, who are clearly overpaid. I mean, the fact that coaches are overpaid, we've known that for a long time. We've, we've known that before, again, this kind of money settled into the market. Coaches have always been overpaid, right? They're not the ones who are doing, they're the ones taking the money. They're not the ones offering it. And so if we want to come down on the bad guy in, in this situation, it's the, it's the athletic directors, the administrators, the regents, the donors, the boosters who can't control. They literally can't control themselves, Eli. And until there comes a point where there's some self-control, for whatever reason, whether you want to hire this candidate before someone else does, or you have some oil and gas magnet down in Texas who's just throwing money around like, like he's you know, blowing bubbles, uh, and he wants to put that money not into you know, the public good or, or interest, but, but rather to, pay, to overpay grossly a, a college football coach to get his alma mater more competitive in whatever conference they're in. That if, until that that thinking stops, this this isn't going to stop. It's the you know we see the money that are that's coming into these schools based on these TV deals. That's not all going to coaches' salaries, okay? That that's that's going to a lot of different things on these campuses. This goes beyond even you know this this goes beyond even the athletic directors who are the ones you know signing off on the on the contracts. They've got some self control issues clearly in this. Um, in this situation, this narrative, but it is so many more people in play who continue to make this a, a literal joke. And if 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 uh, they don't check themselves, 
then there's no reason to think that the coaches should. Coaches are just taking the money that's offered. The agents are making the deals that that are being offered their their clients. This to me is a responsibility of uh, a lot of people on the other side of, of the coach. It's not the coach in his camp. It's the athletic director, the administration, the regents, and certainly the donors and boosters in their camp that are really making this thing stink. Well, perhaps the best guardrail, because I don't know what's going to stop anybody uh, the next time they're trying to hire a coach. Texas A&M might find itself in the same spot in three weeks' time when they feel so desperate to give whoever this next guy is no doubt. the deal to get him there. Uh, perhaps this will be a cautionary tale. No one probably this week wants to be Ross Bjork. There's not an AD in the country who wants to have had that contract around their ankles, and so maybe that's going to be the deterrent. It tends to be the case that uh, an example somewhere else is the best way of stopping the craziness elsewhere. Sure. So we'll see. Surely it'll be a calm and considered and well thought through coaching carousel this year, as as it is every year. Uh, and no, no dramatics, no flight tracker watching. Uh, sure, it'll be no no drama, zero drama. Over under on the none of our times, Irvin Meyer's name gets mentioned. He's uh, already been he's already been connected to Michigan State. He's been connected everywhere. I, I told I, I told our our colleague Sam Mays, Eli, just the other night on on in the trenches that it would not shock me if A and M landed on Urban Meyer eventually. That'd be quite a jump. Be quite a jump. All right, question two: mm-hmm. Is Brent Venables allowed to laugh? <laughs> because uh, yesterday, you know, I'll give you know Brent. I'll give him credit when things are going anything other than not very good, like the last couple of weeks had been at OU. Most of the time, he's good-humored, um, particularly when he's dealing with us in the media. I mean, he's not a, a laugh riot, and he's not Mike Gundy in terms of you know <laughs> walking around like he's giving you know, a lecture in, in box office. But um, he's got a sense of humor is the point. And uh, give him credit. Yesterday, uh, well, the other day, we were you know, at, at his press conference, uh, and he was talking about Dylan Gabriel and, and just slipped in an underhanded joke about you know, basically commending him for coming over all that uh, – overcoming all that questionable play calling of Jeff Levy's that, you know, we in the media or many fans out there had pointed out. It was, it was a solid joke, solid joke. I tweeted it out knowing, you know, I, I said tongue in cheek. I wanted to make it clear. You know, Be someone careful. said, someone said, Oh, I love that. He's still taking shots at Jeff Levy. And I was like, if he's taking shots at anybody, it is us. But then someone else commented and said, is that a bit of hubris? Is he really, should he really be joking when his team is throwing away their college football playoff hopes? And, uh, you know, played themselves out of the Big 12 title game. So my question to you, is Brent Venables allowed to laugh? He's, he's seven and two, not two and, wait. Eight and two. Eight and two. Sorry, gosh. Stuck on seven and two because of the, the chaos post-Bedlam. Right. Eight and two. He's eight and two, not two and eight. Correct? That is correct. But you're telling me he's allowed to laugh with two losses on his record? How about two chuckles? How about one chuckle for each loss? That's per season. That's all he gets. Per that is all he gets. Oklahoma coach. Can we can we agree on that much? Goodness, I didn't know he needed permission to to make jokes or that they were contingent uh, on. Again, you're right. If you were two and eight, I don't think the jokes would be coming. He he has a right to. Here's the thing. I would rather. The people who took either Venables too seriously or took your tweet too seriously need to ask themselves, would you rather have a coach present himself with, you know, even for a moment, 
in a sort of a self-deprecating, okay to laugh, okay to laugh at, uh, you know, an obvious uh, narrative surrounding my program when things haven't been going so well the last few weeks? Or would you rather him show up a podium like uh, Bill Belichick does in New England, right? Or even like Nick Saban does in Tuscaloosa. Or like Jimbo Fisher, not Jimbo Fisher, Jim uh, Harbaugh, Sweeney on, on oh. the Boy, there's a there's, there's a slip there's a slip up. Um, Davo with the, with Jeremy from uh, Spartanburg is that who it was? Tyler from Spartanburg. Tyler, not Jeremy. I'm sorry. Sorry. Sorry, it's, it's Jeremy. Tyler's brother Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, his other brother Jeremy. Um, no, I mean I would rather I'd rather hear if you're a fan, wouldn't you rather hear that? Is what I'm saying than some of the alternatives. You mentioned Gundy. I I think Gundy's fine, but I but he, but he's an acquired taste. The, you know the act he puts on every Monday in Stillwater. Um, I guess I've acquired it, but yeah, I, I, I think we can all take a deep breath and, and appreciate the fact that Venables isn't programmed uh, to speak in, 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 in coach ease uh, for 30 minutes straight every Tuesday in Norman. Indeed. Indeed. Oh, all right. Final question. If Oklahoma does go to BYU this weekend and, and loses, what will be the number one reason why? Uh, the, uh, we talked earlier off the air, as they say, and I'm trying to figure out a way that Oklahoma can screw this game up based on what I've dug into regarding the Cougars. So I, I, I better land on screwing themselves up again, like they like they sort of did in Lawrence or Stillwater. Um, that to me is it. Brigham Young is not going to straight up beat Oklahoma. It just I just don't see a, a way that's going to happen. Um, the Sooners are going to have to provide some help. And if whether it's, you know, dropping a kickoff return like they did in Lawrence or having snap issues like they did in Stillwater or maybe a combination of both, that's how they get in trouble, I think, this weekend. Weather's still good, right? Weather's yes. still good. Going to be a yeah. beautiful 10 a.m. kick local in Provo. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you're right. I think it's penalties and turnovers, two of the biggest indicators of what went wrong against Kansas and Oklahoma State that could even open this up to being a game. But you're right. I mean, this is not a BYU team. I don't think that's as good as West Virginia. We saw what Oklahoma did to West Virginia. Um, and the Sooners, if they've got their screws on and they're not making silly mistakes, if they're moderately more disciplined, which they were against West Virginia, feels like a fail-proof trip. But that's been said plenty before, I'm sure. Um, who knows? I don't know. Maybe those early kicks. Speaking of dry humor, uh, Dylan Gabriel maybe making a joke. At, at maybe pointing out at how insignificant 10 a.m. versus 11 a.m. is to him or, or these players and coaches, but he said, oh, man, I, I heard the kick was at 4 a.m. Didn't land quite like uh, Brent's jokes. They've, maybe they've got to spend some time on delivery in the, uh, in the film room. Who, who would you throw, throw up? If you were teaching a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds about comedic timing delivery, wh- what film would you be throwing up? Who, who, who are you putting up there? When it comes to any comedy, I'd start with Richard Pryor. I don't, I don't mm. care the age, I don't care the situation, but I, I wouldn't expect. We're not talking a, a masterclass from a football program on on comic timing or or cadence or anything like that. I think we are asking a lot of a of a football program in football season to <laughs> sort of break out of the cycle because that's what these guys go into, yeah. right? They go into like a six month cycle where everything is life and death based on based on how they perform on Saturday and credit to both Venables and Gabriel or anyone else around the program who's 
trying to chuckle uh, again, just even for a minute, but it is tough to, to, the game face is real, Eli, is what I'm saying. And, and I think that's the, you can't crack, it just doesn't crack easily. I think that's what people like Venables and Gabriel discovered this week. I wonder which of, or how many of George Carlin's seven words uh, McCabe Matoyer used to get ejected uh, against West Virginia. Because <laughs> he got one penalty for what he did, which was pushing and shoving. He got another for something he said, he admitted. Wouldn't tell us what, but I'd, I'd put the over, over under at two and a half, maybe. I don't know. I'm sure there's he's, a lot being said right there. I could listen to McCade Matoire do a lot of things, including cuss. He's, a, he's an endlessly fascinating person to me. He's a fascinating guy. Also fascinating, kind of the story of the week, not necessarily in Norman, but Norman Tangential, has been this whole Big 12 tiebreaker fiasco. Uh, we don't need to go into every little bit of it, but uh, we're sitting here recording at one nineteen. PM Wednesday afternoon. Still no official word yet from the Big 12, but as Barry Trammell reported at sellout crowd yesterday uh, and was followed up with other confirmations across the country, I, I think what we're expecting is that the Big 12 will issue a clarification on its uh, tiebreaker rules that, you know, no doubt about it, were confusing. It's why fans and media people like us were kind of struggling to wrap our heads around them until there was this clarification from the Big 12 uh, effectively. Um, or what will settle the whole three-way tie between OSU, K-State, or OU if it were to happen. Um, and rather than what was originally written that made it seem as though Oklahoma State's two wins over Kansas State and OU wouldn't matter, that they'd go to some different tiebreaker, from the sound of it, we are headed now to a reality where probably the right thing, we can there, should it be getting figured out on November 15th? I don't know. That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, but the right thing would be that resolution. Uh, Garen, as you said to me off air, we're going to go through all this and then it probably won't matter. We'll have some other outcome that doesn't need this tiebreaker. But all that said, I mean, fill in the spaces. Did I miss anything? And if I didn't, let's then just dive into the fact that, you know, this is yet another Big 12 slip up, mm -hmm. um, another just unforced error. And, and we're talking about tiebreaker rules getting settled and figured out and confusion when there's two regular season games left. Uh, and that just can't be. Yeah, that's this is this is where I'm landing here, Eli. It's that I mean, the story is interesting. I, I get it, and there's a chance that it'll it'll actually come to be, depending upon what the Sooners, Cowboys, and Wildcats do the next two weeks. My feeling is based on all of the work everyone did all week to get all worried about this. Either OU is going to lose in Provo, OSU is going to lose at Houston, or K State's going to lose in Lawrence. We'll see. But where I land is that it, it's not so much. It's not even so much the three teams and the standings and, and, the, and the specifics of, of the story. It's the backdrop of how does, how does this happen, right? I mean, you've got a situation in the Big Ten right now where a lot of people feel the conference is being exposed for either, either, either being caught out of, out of unprepared or toothless or, or, or wrong thinking. I don't, I, I don't know because I, I haven't spent nearly as much time on Jim Harbaugh in Michigan as, as a lot of the other college football media, especially the national media, right? Our job is America's to team. America's team. Can we talk about that at some point? Yeah, we can get to <laughs> it. We'll, Garen I'll, or I'll out? I hope that's Garen or Gare out later. We can get to it. We'll get to it. Okay. Anyway, the, but how many times does a conference 
deal with uh, a, a story with, that involves, you know, counter stallions and spine over the course of, of a season. I mean, at least if I'm Tony Petiti in the Big Ten, I'm thinking, well, this doesn't happen to everybody every year. I mean, I can fall back on that. If I'm, even if I'm new to the conference, relatively new, as Brett Yormark is, he has to realize that he is in charge of a league that this doesn't happen to me every year, doesn't apply to the Big 12, because it seems to happen to the Big 12 every year. Something goes wrong, and 90% of the time, it's something that could have been avoided. It's, 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 it's language, it's bylaws, it's policy. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it's, we've talked about coaches who can't get out of their own way, or even the Sooners not getting out of their own way too often. Some, some on the, on the jacket this season, Eli, well, here's a case of a conference that can't get out of its own way. And it happened again with this. It's that time of year again, America. So let's light up the season during the Make the Holidays Bright sales event. Choose from a large inventory of Ford vehicles equipped with technology, space, and flexibility for any season. Get special offers on our adventure-ready SUVs or on our great selection of Ford trucks. And make the holidays bright with Ford. Now, drive a new 2023 Ford F-150 with 3.9% financing for 60 months plus up to $2,750 total cash. Visit your best in Oklahoma Ford dealer today. Your Mark has done a lot of cleaning up. He set up the league to, to thrive, even potentially, without Oklahoma and Texas. Full credit there. Uh, full credit to his salesmanship. He's, he's a slick dude. We all know that. He's a bright dude. He's sharp. He was, he's doing what he was hired to do. Does not change the fact that you can still fall into a, a, a hell of a trap that you set yourself if you don't do the administrative stuff that you may not like doing or that you don't have the staff doing for you. So the failure here is 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 all on the Big 12. And what makes it worse is that uh, it's it's it could have been unavoidable with just a basic review of procedure and administration. The stuff no one wants to mess with and sometimes chooses not to mess with until they realize we really should have messed with this. And that, that reckoning came, came hard on the Big 12 this week. How is Brett Yormark supposed to know that when you go from a 10-team round robin where everyone plays each, each other to a 14-team whatever this is, that there could be complicated math? That's my question. How is he supposed to know that, Garen? How does he not have a mathematician on his staff? I mean, as much, right? I mean, not for the same reason that... that uh, but you know what? We were asking Venables and Gundy this week around here about if you, if you figured out the tiebreaker scenario, their answers were no, understandably, because no, you'd have to spend a lot of time on math to figure them out. But how do they not have a staff member who has figured it out? Because <laughs> they've got the money to pay that staff member now. How does Brett Yormark in Dallas not have someone at his side watching this kind of stuff and saying, hey, there's some language here that would create a really bad looking situation if we're not careful that that probably that alarm should have gone off maybe a few weeks ago didn't have to go off in august but then when this stuff started to shake out the way it did and this con in the, you know the, the standings broke the way they did uh there had to be someone there um if not your mark somebody to point this out that's all well and further into the mismanagement of the situation how about the fact that you know, we're now at 24 hours about again, recording Wednesday afternoon, mm -hmm. it's like one thirty PM and the news has been out there via Barry Trammell initially confirmed by others. The big 12 is still yet to make any kind of official statement on it. We, we know, uh, talking to folks around OU yesterday, 
uh, they were not aware of anything coming. I mean, I'm sure they were aware of the, the tiebreaker fracas, everything going on out there in the world, but they were not aware of anything coming. The, the ADs met yesterday morning. It didn't come up. Uh, and now Wednesday morning, they have this standing college football playoff post-rankings meeting, whatever. Presumably, that's where it came up today, and presumably, that's where we're going to get whatever officially comes from the Big 12. But the fact is, it's going to be, I don't know, about too little too late. It'll be good to have something official, but point is, we already have a pretty good sense of what they're going to tell us, mm-hmm. and the cat has already been out of the bag, and the Big 12 has already been getting dragged. You like that rhyming? That's good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, the fact is, like it, it, it's the, the black eye is there, and, and maybe they're going to avoid here really would have been a black eye which was some scenario in two weeks time where you know if it if it breaks the way we all were sort of looking at it at least of in terms of a tiebreaker you know oklahoma state somehow not making the title game despite beating the two teams it's locked in a tiebreaker with mm-hmm. that's a win but they have taken a lot of l's to get there mm-hmm. and they're taking l's here late in the season as far as the sooners go because the, the real implications on this i, I think as we are discussing it, and, and there, it's worth noting, there's a million other tiebreakers that are still very ambiguous. They're less likely at this point because it, they're, they're the scenarios that see like Iowa State or Kansas getting in, but they're not fixing everything. And this fix is probably, if it goes the way, it again, the framework we're talking, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State all tied at two conference losses at, at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. It's more of an issue for Kansas State. They're the ones getting mm-hmm. slighted, perhaps. For Oklahoma, the, the path is still easy. Uh, if Texas loses to Iowa State, that puts the Sooners on a path. Texas loses to Tech, and Iowa State beats K-State, that puts the Sooners on a path. And then uh, I think the easiest one, if you're an OU fan, or I guess, and it's simple if you're an OU fan, root against Texas and Oklahoma State, the Cowboys lose one of their next two games, and the Sooners, of course, in all these scenarios, win out. The path is there, and that mm-hmm. isn't really changed. But goodness, uh, in a fan base that is already, you know, somewhat rightly at least, you know, some wondering about officiating and things in the Big 12 office, others who have their tinfoil hats on about the whole thing, this certainly hasn't helped. Uh, and the Big 12 has not helped its own cause in, in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's the worst fallout. You, you hit on the fact that all this does is, is, you know, feed the, uh, feed the, you know, the, the mob, right. The, the OU sect that's swears everyone's out to get the Sooners and can't be convinced otherwise. And that's, it's not a good look. Uh, it's not, it's really not a justifiable look when you consider that calls go, calls go strange ways every week. If if you, if you really get down to study things, um, but this kind of thing, uh, all that did was allow the people to keep those tinfoil hats on their heads another several days. And the sooner people all remove that, then the better the fan base is, is going to look. But um, yeah, no, it did. But we have to we have to hear that. We have to see it on social media. We have to hear it at, at games that much longer based on uh, Big 12 incompetence. And that makes me a little bit mad at the Big 12 because I don't like hearing it. I'm tired of hearing it. Quote Brent Venables in his press conference this week, I don't believe in conspiracies. He at least knocked it down. Um, but that I'm sure is not going to quiet a fan base. Mm-hmm. And certainly nope. a section of it feels the way it feels. All right, final segment here. I want to talk to you just a little bit on Dylan Gabriel because Brent Venables spent a lot of time on Dylan Gabriel in his presser this week. Just 
talking talking with pride and, and talking about what he's accomplished. Uh, Saturday night was huge for, for Dylan Gabriel against West Virginia. Uh, first OU player to score eight touchdowns in a game, top a Baker Mayfield mark, uh, moved into the top 10 all time on the uh, NCAA's passing list. He's going to get there in some other categories as well by the end of the season. Um, and now this is, you know, we're, this is closing in on two years of Dylan Gabriel under center with the Sooners. And uh, he has fair or not been compared with the guys who came before him, mm-hmm. guys like Baker Mayfield, guys like Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray. Um, and he's only been here two years. He's, he's had a lot of people I mean, in August. How many folks were saying we'd prefer to see Jackson Arnold than this experienced fifth year quarterback? And the question as we head out, I mean, this will be a question maybe dictated by the next few games, the next few weeks. Um, but we can talk about it now. Dylan Gabriel's legacy in Norman will be what when all is said and done. Are you, are you, by the way, first of all, are you intimating that this is going to be it for Dylan Gabriel at OU? That's been the expectation. Um, and from okay. everything I've, and I, I can't, you know, this isn't like deeply sourced with the Gabriels, but I, I mean, I, right. I can go back into interviews. I, you know, his, his mother yeah. and his family yeah. has intimated this is going to be his final year. Dylan yeah. has as well. You know, Brent Venables was asked about it the other day, and right. I don't know if his, um, he said, you know, not something we've talked about yet. Perhaps they haven't. Perhaps that means the door is opened or perhaps kind of on the spot talking about someone else's decision um, and something that has nothing to do with Brent Venables other than who his quarterback could be mm-hmm. next year. Probably just backing away. But yeah. I can say that every expectation uh, really until this week, let's say, it's kind of when I say that the door has been reopened by Brent Venables, I don't think it's his to yeah. open. No one asked Dylan. Gotcha. Um I think the expectation is that this will be it. And it was even in Brent's words earlier in the year, talking about Jackson Arnold mm-hmm. needing to prepare a quarterback for next year uh, that made that clear. I think Dylan Gabriel, if you ask me, will be trying to play pro football in 2024. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, then, then if we're starting to sort of paint a picture of legacy, to use your word, Eli, I would uh, you talk about recent quarterbacks that he's compared to um, at, at Oklahoma. I still go back to the the other left-hander, the guy who sort of built like him, looks like him physically, plays like him. That's Josh Heupel. And not just because of that, but because of the fact that here were two programs vulnerable at the time that they came aboard. Um, Heupel joined with Mike Leach to completely change the, the thinking of offensive football at OU. And to help Bob Stoops get that thing off its, you know, off its, off the canvas, because that, that's where the Sooners were when Stoops got to got to Norman 25 years ago. Gabriel arrives coming off a pretty successful season, but with, you know, scorched earth still burning because Lincoln Riley's gone to USC, Caleb Williams is going with him, right, and everyone is is freaking out about uh, what who's going to be left, what's going to be left, and. If things did not go as expected or planned in year one, what Gabriel has accomplished this year, um, along with Jeff Levy, along with Brent Venables, much as Leach and Stoops were part of the hypo, you know, uh, story 25 years ago, I think should help people appreciate what, what he means to Sooner history. Um, I, I think he's, he's not the best quarterback. In the last 25 years at OU, he's not the most productive, right? He might be the most important since Heupel. Just because of where the program was when he got here, 
how vulnerable the program was and the work he's put into getting it right. Okay. Again, it seems kind of weird to say because the guy he replaced won the Heisman Trophy last year while the Sooners were going six and seven. But if you if you consider just the picture around uh, around some things that uh, that that got completely turned upside down, right a year ago, two years ago now, um, you can't uh, to me you can't understate his importance. You can already read the aggregator headlines. Garen Emig, Dylan Gabriel is the most important OU quarterback in the last twenty five years. They're mm. coming. Mm. That column no. is I, that feels like that column's been written. I don't know. I haven't written it, but it feels like I mean, it I think could people, be written. People have. I think people have made that made that observation though, and I, they should to me. I mean, that's well, it. It rests with the point you're making here. Is is the timing? Things perhaps went off the rails last year, if you want to look at it that way. Six and seven, but you think about the games that he's helped them win, mm-hmm. and just having a stable force. We know the leader. He's been in that locker mm-hmm. room since. Since Brent Venables arrived, you know, all right, it hasn't landed in Big 12 titles and playoff appearances and Heisman trophies, but you know what headache Brent Venables hasn't had and hasn't needed to have, I'm sure, over the last two years is, is his quarterback and who's going to be there. Other than the one game Dylan Gabriel missed with a concussion uh, against Texas last year, probably the, the darkest game that OU's had, that 49 nothing game with, with at the Cotton Bowl. We saw what it looked like with that Dylan Gabriel, that's for sure. Um, he has been the bridge. And if we are talking in a few years about, you know, an OU team that in 2023 won 10, 11 games and then went to the SEC and Jackson Arnold, you know, they kept this upward uh, trajectory and five years in, they've got it going. We're going to look back at the first two years and say Dylan Gabriel was there. He was an emotional leader for this team. He was part of its backbone. And especially in year two, he's a guy that's helped them win some games they wouldn't have won with the lesser quarterbacks. Certainly not. Uh, you know, Jackson Arnold hasn't gotten his shot, but a freshman quarterback, you, you'd have your doubts that they'd be where they'd be. Um, and I, I do think, you know, for all the talk at times about his arm, his accuracy, if he's good enough to be an Oklahoma quarterback, I think Dylan Gabriel has proven that last point for sure. He has been good enough to be an Oklahoma Oklahoma quarterback. Oklahoma's been lucky to have him, I think, these last two years, and that should be uh, the ways he goes into his final two regular season games, people are thinking about Dylan Gabriel. Yeah. You want to play a little Gary and Gare out? I want to play a lot of Gary and Gare out, Eli. A lot of it. All right. I've got questions. Um, all right. First, Gare in or Gare out on Cougars? Ooh. What? what? <laughs> it's a pretty straightforward question. Gare in, Gare out? There's, there's got to be some context to that question before I answer. Are we talking about the animal? I mean, BYU mascot. Yeah, where'd your head go? (laughs) Garen on Cougars, Eli. Moving on. (laughs) All right. uh, I saw... (laughs) This is great. So uh, Jimbo Fisher, obviously fired. He's he's not employed at the moment. Fabulously unemployed, you could say, with that kind of money coming in. Chip Kelly at UCLA rumored also to be I mean, either on the hot seat or like his job's already done. And it's just a matter of if they're going to let him coach against USC. Uh, a commenter on college football Reddit caught this on Twitter. I wish I could give credit to who it was, but came up with a podcast idea. One that could rival Letterman Jacket. Fish and Chips. Jimbo Fisher and Chip Kelly talking Ooh. college football. You get in or get out on that. Fish and Chips. Coach, 
coaching together in college football? Podcast together. Called oh, Fish oh, and oh Chips. okay. And well, just for the sake of having a podcast called Fish and Chips with those two guys, Garrett in. Absolutely. Now, fish and chips, like the food, the dish, Garen or Garen. Also Garen. Mm. You have a favorite place for it? I'm going to say London. Mm. I assume One that, of these days. And that's, that's because, and that's saying that as someone who's never been, but I just assume that that's where to go to get the best fish and chips. Am I, am I wrong? I think I would think so. Letterman Jacket's going to go international someday, and you and me <laughs> will eat fish and chips on camera, and we'll we'll know for sure. All right. Uh, if people have followed this out on the West Coast, the remaining Pac-12 teams, Washington State and Oregon State, uh, were engaged in some sort of legal battle with all the departing teams over the money remaining in the conference, conf- uh, money coming in this year and next, I believe. Uh, the The remaining schools, the two that are left, ultimately one i'm sure there's gonna be more fighting uh the money that the other schools said in legal filings they would use to pay other teams and schools to come to the conference and rebuild the conference causing irreparable harm i don't know if i presented that all perfectly but you gear in or gear out on all these schools leaving presumably for a lot more money in new conferences uh complaining about the money they're going to lose in the conference they're ditching I'm going to say this, anything that helps Oregon State and Washington State gear the bleep in, mm. I, whatever, that, whatever that means, however that looks, I'm getting back to your question, your first gear in, gear out question. I'm Team Cougar, <laughs> Team Beaver. <laughs> anyway. Well, speaking of the Beavers. Well, you go ahead. You got to understand the response, all right? Anything that helps yeah. two poor souls left out of left out of what happened. Speaking of the Beavers, um, they've got Washington this week and Oregon next week. They're ranked tenth in the country right now. Do they gear in or gear out on them spoiling one or both of those teams' college football playoff shots? I got to say, gear in based on what I what I just told you, right? I, yeah. Anything positive. Which means yes. Talk about America's team, the Beavers. That should be yes. Uh, yeah. Either either the Cougars or the Beavers, not the Wolverines, have a mm. right to uh, be called America's team. Colin's All right. So, since team. you asked for it, whether it's the melodrama of Sharon Moore, former Sooner, uh, post game in yeah. at Penn State, or Jim Harbaugh referring to his team as America's team this week, gear in or gear out on on all that around the Wolverines right now. A lot more Garen on more because I don't I don't blame him for getting all emotional and you know it caught up in the moment that's fine um I don't remember much about him Eli honestly I covered the Sooners when he played offensive line and I I don't remember a thing about Sharon Moore I, I, outside of the fact he was in a lineup uh but uh, the Harbaugh histrionics enough go away go mm. away until you can coach again and then and then coach a little bit more and then go away again I'm um, I'm just a little bit tired of it all right, last two for you. Oklahoma, 24-point favorite at BYU. You gear in or gear out on them covering that number? I don't gear out, but it might be close. I, I, when I first saw the number, I was immediately gear out. And like I said, I started to really pay more attention to what BYU has been up to, and it hasn't, hasn't been good. Jeff Lebby's names come up, uh, and I'm sure will come up in future head coaching deals. Ross Dellinger dropped his name as, as a potential uh it wasn't like a necessarily reported candidate deal, but about someone who, who Mississippi State could look to. Of course, Zach Selman, 
uh, is there. Gear in or gear out on Jeff Levy as a head coach somewhere else in 2024. Gear out. Well, now we know how you feel on that about Cougars, Beavers, Wolverines. We've covered it all on the Letterman Jacket. That is going to do it for this edition. Fish and of chips. Letterman Jacket. And fish and chips. We, we, we really hit on everything. You, you get word. ground covered. You come to Letterman Jacket and we cover ground. That you, we can always guarantee. You used the word fracas, I think, at one mm-hmm. point. I caught that. I, you tried to yep. slip that past me. I, I caught it. Can't get much past you. Hmm. Well, if you made it this far, folks, we appreciate you for listening. Please subscribe, comment, let us know what you think. You can find us, as always, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, uh, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find Letterman Jacket. You can also find my work on the Sooners, Garen's work on everything around the state at selloutcrowd.com. A big thank you to producer Jacqueline Musgrove, to Michael Martin, to creative director Michael Lane. We've got all the mics at Sellout Crowd, including this one. Uh, and we thank you for listening, and we will be back with more on the Letterman Jacket after the trip to Provo this weekend. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.